China has hit back on U.S. sanctions against its microchip industry with restrictions of its own targeting American manufacturer Micron. As the U.S. government tries to establish a stranglehold on this sector that is so crucial to the future of the world economy, China is aiming to expand its own productive and technical capacity. The battle over microchips is a central part of the economic front of the new Cold War. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for a regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarik, filling in for Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. So, Professor Wolf, let's talk about the, the trade war over microchips. You know, the Chinese government announced over the weekend restrictions on Micron, you know, the biggest U.S.-based manufacturer. But that wasn't just some sort of unilateral act of aggression. In fact, that was in response to a move last October by the U.S. government imposing similar restrictions on Chinese chip manufacturing corporations. Tell us what's behind this conflict and why are microchips, why is this product so crucial to the world economy? Well, microchips are now part of everything that depends on advanced electronics, which is pretty close to everything. Much of what is called artificial intelligence, the cell phone industry and all the derivatives from it, it's a very important component of economic development, and it is particularly important to what we call high-tech industries and the countries that are in the leadership of high-tech industries. And while many countries have this or that piece of the high-tech industry world, the two dominant systems are the United States and the People's Republic of China. And so in that sense, it's not all that surprising that if there's going to be a conflict between the United States and China, economically speaking, whatever else may happen, then it isn't surprising that the microchip business would be uh, right front and center in that kind of conflict. What I think is important is to pick up on your phrase, Cold War, because the Chinese action this last weekend comes, as you point out, eight months after the United States initiated this kind of 
nationalist economic policy in which a government sets aside the rules that we were talking about for the last 30 years or 40 years under names like neoliberalism, globalization, free trade regime, and all of that. That was the religion of the time. That was the mantra that every leader, left, right, and center in most of the world, gave his or her loyalty to. But it has now clearly been thrown out the window, and it's important for everyone to understand why so. And when I say that this has been initiated by the United States, it's not because I want to associate blame here. The Chinese have just done something quite similar to what the United States did. But the important thing is the break that this marks from what existed before, namely this regime of neoliberal free trade, minimum government interference in a globalizing economy. Let's review what that meant, because then it'll explain why we're having this microchip war now. For most of the last 30, 40 years, the globalizing neoliberal minimum government intervention worldwide free trade regime presided over by the World Trade Organization, and as I say, endorsed by virtually every political leadership was a period in which one country gained the most from that regime. And that country was the People's Republic of China. The last 30 years have revealed in China the fastest economic growth on record for a comparable period of time. Really, no one is close. The Chinese have economically developed their society much faster than the Soviet Union was able to do between 1917 and 1989. Over most of the last 30 years, the People's Republic of China increased their annual output of goods and services by between 6 and 9% per year, which was roughly three times or more the rate achieved by the United States. Now, make no mistake, the last 30 or 40 years were times of extraordinary wealth increases in the United States, although those were limited in the main to the top 5 or 10% of the American people. So, But it was a growth of wealth in this country, a booming stock market, which helps explain why the wealth was so unequally distributed. But the Chinese wealth grew much faster. That's why they are now competing with the United States across the board in manufacturing, in services, in low-tech, medium-tech, and high-tech, and everything having to do with microchips. And this catching up has now become a surpassing. The world is now split between two major economic giants and then the rest of the world. One giant is called the G7. They just had a conference over the weekend in Hiroshima in Japan. The other economic giant 
is the BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, standing for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. The year 2020 was the year in which the total output of goods and services of the G7, that is the U.S. and its allies, was roughly equal to the total output in 2020 of the BRICS, that is China and its allies. Since that time, so now we are in 2023, the pattern has continued. The G7 have grown significantly slower than the BRICS. The BRICS, that is China and its allies, now account for 32% of the world's output of goods and services, whereas the G7, that is United States and its allies, account for about 29%, and the gap keeps widening. The United States has found that, and that's the crucial thing here, found this an unacceptable, intolerable catching up and surpassing. So intolerable, so upsetting, that the United States has made basic decisions to try to stop the economic progress made by the BRICS, to attack the BRICS as a group and as a unit, and now to directly intervene economically so far in the globalization story, to basically switch from the neoliberal globalization mantra of the last 40 years and replace it with an economic nationalism. You could see that in the tariffs applied by Mr. Trump when he was president, in the trade war waged against China when Trump was president, and the basic continuation of those policies under Joseph Biden, with the new and frightening addition of a war, a war that everyone knows is the G7 in NATO on the one hand and Russia on the other. Russia, a founding member of the BRICS. So you now have nationalist economic policy epitomized by these attacks on the chip companies on both sides now and the military confrontation. China is technically a neutral, but is clearly helping and supporting Russia, as are the other BRICS countries, Brazil, India, and South Africa. So it is a very important historical shift here. But the key player, the key decision maker, is the declining partner in this game. It is the G7, the United States, and mostly its European allies, Canada and Japan. They are the declining partner, and they have been now ever since, well, for years, but clearly now number two because of the change in 2020 when for the first time the G7 slipped to second place and the BRICS became first place. This is crucial. Everybody needs to understand that these attacks on the chip companies of China that started back last year in 2022, 
that have now been responded to this weekend by China, apropos the American micron chip producer. These are small steps in a much larger process that is going to be very, very central to the economic realities all of us face in the months and years to come. Yeah, Professor Wolf, I mean, I think what you're saying about the historical change, the shift or at least partial shift between a neoliberal, quote unquote, free trade approach to the international economy, the world market, that transformation or, you know, partial transformation to what we're seeing now, which is, you know, you could call it protectionism, economic nationalism, it's really important to understand as you're laying out that that switch was driven 100% by the needs of capital. In the 1970s, the 1980s, the 1990s, what capital needed above all else was a source of cheap labor, labor that could be super exploited, paid ultra low wages, and raw materials and markets to exploit. And so by using you know, the IMF, the World Bank, their own military sometimes as battering rams, they could gain access to this highly exploitable labor and these new markets and these new resources. But now that the world order is shifting, now that there are these new economic and geopolitical powers rising, they've switched, right? They've decided that, okay, actually, we do need to keep a substantial amount of manufacturing located based inside of the borders of, of our countries so that we can essentially control it better in the event of a global military confrontation, which sounds insane, but it is actually what they're openly planning for. So that's driven, again, 100% by the needs of capital. But what we hear from the rhetoric of politicians is that, you know, essentially they've seen the light. They've come around to understanding the plight of working people in the United States, and they support the reconstruction, rebuilding American industry, because that will provide good jobs for American workers. How do you answer that narrative, that kind of demagogic narrative that says this is actually all for you guys? Well, it's a little hard since it's phony on a scale that is a little bit like offering to sell something at a county fair and having a person with a straight face hand you a $4 bill. You don't know quite what to say. Does the person think you're that stupid that you're going to take funny money instead of the real thing, et cetera, et cetera? And let me explain here the economics. It's one thing to give lots of speeches about bringing manufacturing back here to the United States, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality of doing that is completely different. I can give you examples. Each of the last 10 presidents of the United States have promised to reverse the decline of manufacturing in the United States as we became overwhelmingly a service-providing economic system. Every one of the last 10 presidents has promised to reverse the decline of manufacturing, and not a single one of them ever achieved it. It is something you say when you're campaigning. It's something that gets workers terribly fearful for good reason about their decent jobs, to be hopeful that maybe voting for this new character will get you what obviously you didn't get from all the old character. You see it when people tell you they're going to bring back the coal industry is another example. Never happened, not going to happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a transparent 
fakery. But the economics are the things to keep in mind because it'll help people understand. The whole thrust of the last 40 years, as you rightly pointed out, had to do with bringing a mass of cheap labor, mostly in places like China and India and Brazil, into the world economy. It was a wonderful thing for capitalists to basically say to all the people who had won high wages, you have to take a wage cut or else we're leaving and going to China or India or Brazil where we can get away with paying workers much, much less. It was a club with which to beat the working class of the United States, which got beaten. That's why they're so upset now. That's why they're turning to right-wing demagogues who promised them some escape from what seems to be, and they're right about this, a relentless attack. Well, if, if you understand that, then rebuilding manufacturing here is a pipe dream, unless you mean to rebuild it by paying American workers what you could get away to this day with paying workers in Malaysia or Vietnam or even China, even though wages there have been going up quite quickly in recent decades. But American workers are not going to get the jobs unless they are competitive with the low wages in other parts of the country. That's the part that the demagogue leaves out. We're going to bring jobs here. No, you're not. You're not going to do it unless one of two things happen. Workers accept lower wages, or here's another way to do it. Pay the workers higher wages, but have each of the 50 states compete to where these new manufacturing locations are going to be housed, where they're going to happen. And you know how the states do that? They give them vast, and I'm talking about billions of dollars in tax cuts, straight out subsidies, and so on. And where are the states going to get that money? Either by raising taxes on the working class or by cutting social services to the working class. So you'll get the same wage as before, but all of the things that the government used to do for you all of the things the government didn't tax you for before, they're going to go after you now. And so in the end, the only way the United States is going to reposition, relocate manufacturing or other high-paying jobs in the United States is if they make it worthwhile for capitalists to come here. And they're not going to do it. That's why they haven't been doing it in the last 30 years. Let me do it one more way. We are now a competitive economic system. The world isn't the United States and then a few other countries. The world is a big, fat, powerful competitor led by the People's Republic of China. Companies know they have to compete. They can't go to the United States where everything, starting with labor, is more expensive because then they'll have to raise the prices of what they sell, and that will mean people go elsewhere to buy. Where else? From the people that are producing in China and India and Brazil. American capitalists do not want to be priced out of the market, which is why the government and the politicians can do whatever they want. But this is not going to change what's going on. It's not a very well thought through policy. It's designed to get you a 
a bump in the polls, sound like you're going to do something magical. But the working class has to keep in mind what every smart investor knows. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably isn't. Yeah, I mean, crucially important, this type of rhetoric we hear every single election cycle, and I think we're going to hear a lot more of it. You know, Professor Wolf, one more question. The United States and the the State Department planners, the Commerce Department planners, I mean, they have this kind of fantasy where they think that the rest of the world will accept this idea that they have to choose, either do business with U.S.-based corporations or with European-based corporations, or do business with China. You can either buy your microchips from Micron or you can buy it from Chinese corporations, but not both. And you have to choose now. I think that, you know, this type of strong arm politics, maybe that worked for the United States in the past. But as you're laying out, the world has changed in such fundamental ways that I just can't see the rest of the world going along with that type of binary. What are the prospects in your view for the United States succeeding in in this type of way? Very poor. And you're quite right. I mean, let me give you a very specific example. The obvious interim solution for the Chinese, if they're not going to buy their chips from Micron, is to buy from two very large South Korean corporations who are able, willing, and interested in filling in the market in China that Micron is now in the process of losing. And that's a perfect example. There are options now that the American economy seems to want to deny or to shut down or to close off. And they're not going to be able to do that. They are not where they were. To say this in the simplest language I know, every empire the world has ever seen, the Greek, the Roman, the Persian, the British, the Ottoman, you name it, went up enjoyed a peak, and then went down and disappeared. The United States replaced the British Empire in just that way. And the American Empire is now heading down. I know that's hard to understand. I know it's even harder to accept. The British still imagine, look at their coronation, look at their funeral for Elizabeth. They still want to pretend that they are the great British empire, which they haven't been for a century. The United States doesn't understand that there are now options everywhere, that those South Korean companies, they know exactly what they have to do. They have to get that market in China because that's their future. And they have to dance around the United States in a hundred different ways. But the proof that it can be done is really in the Ukraine war. Starting in February of 2022, the United States was persuaded and told the whole world they can destroy the Russian economy. That's how they were going to win. They knew they couldn't win militarily. The Russian military is one of the greatest in the world, and the Ukrainian, to be blunt, isn't. This didn't take rocket science. But their idea that they could isolate and destroy the Russian economy in a matter of weeks is clearly badly mistaken. They've had to escalate that war, the HIMARS rockets, the Patriot missile system, now the promise of F-16 fighter jets. They keep having to ratchet it up 
not because the Ukrainians are winning, but because of the opposite. They didn't understand what the BRICS could do, namely buy Russian oil and gas and keep that economy doing perfectly well. Thank you. These are mistakes one on top of the other. And of course, they make the people making these mistakes get more and more desperate. They're doubling down. And that's a very dangerous thing to do when every step you take gets you deeper into the mud and the problem and the difficulty. I don't know how long this can stand. I will tell you there is one interesting remark. Over this last weekend, Mr. Biden talked to the press and made a little tease that there's going to shortly be a great new positive step in the U.S.-China relationship, to which the rest of the world said, oh, the United States has decided fighting against Russia and China together is clearly a loser proposition, so now maybe they're going to try to split the Chinese off from the Russians. But we're at that stage in a process that Americans have to come to terms with, which is it's much more fun during the up phase of an empire than it is in the down phase. We're going to have to leave it right there. We were joined by Professor Richard Wolff. He is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. 